Hello, Adulting Well listeners. This is Pepper, a.k.a. Joshua, a.k.a. Pepper, here to tell you about Anchor. So we used to host our podcast on another service, and we had this show for maybe three or four years at this point. And we got some metrics and things, but we didn't have a lot to do with them. And we recently switched over to Anchor. And what's amazing about it is it has all the metrics for the show. So you can see, you know, how many downloads you get and things like that. But it it also lets you engage with the audience uh, in ways that our old service couldn't. So, for instance, we can have polls. We can ask listeners to uh, leave us messages and questions and things like that. And we can uh, put them on the air super easily and answer those questions. Just uh, that's just one example. But there are just a lot of different ways that we can um, engage with you now that we're using Anchor. So uh, this is our first ad, and it's for this service that we're using to provide this podcast to you. And I think it's uh, actually a really, really good service. Um, And if you have a podcast, I recommend it. You can download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Uh, Thanks for uh, pausing with me for a second. Now back to the episode. podcast episode number five i am your co-host joshua and i am joined as always by your co-host kevin and we have alejandra del Pinal in tonight and i am nailed very it. excited to talk about going from being a punk kid to working in harm reduction and also co-starting an organization called punks with lunch in oakland california so Alejandro, why don't you tell us a little bit about your early life? I know you weren't born here, so you have a probably a pretty amazing immigrant story, as all of us do at some point in our family's history. Yeah, um, so I was born in Guatemala, and uh, my family came here when I was about a year old. And during that time when I was born, there was it was during a 36-year-long civil war in Guatemala, so my parents didn't want me to grow up in that environment the way they grew up. So we came here and have never left the East Bay since. That's amazing. What do you, I mean, it's got to bring up some, some pretty intense feelings for both you and your family, all the stuff that's going on right now in terms of, you know, immigrants' rights and um, the, you know, the drastic changes in the law and in terms of how it's enforced more, more importantly. Totally. It's, um, it's really scary. My mom's not a citizen yet. And uh, the laws are changing so quickly for people who are just residents here. So you never know what happens. I don't know what's going to happen to my mom in a few years or maybe months. Who knows? But uh, so it's kind of that constant fear as well as like our other family and um, our other friends. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot. Um, So talk to me a little bit about uh, your involvement in the punk scene, because you grew up in the East Bay, and there's obviously what I consider to be like the mecca of all-ages clubs that's still in existence. I want to hear about even like before, like, I always want to know how you got in, like, for me, I've talked about in the show, like, I was in high school, I I was just lost, right? And I saw this weirdo bench full of weirdos, and I was just like, I'm going to hang out with them, and that's how it happened for me. And I like that story. I like to hear, like, like how, did you have, like, an older sibling or something that got you into music, or what happened? Oh, my goodness. So, 
I think it started off with um, my parents were teenage parents as well. So they were into like Rage Against the Machine, Green Day, Rancid. Oh, so that cool parents. Yeah. Oh, okay. There we go. <laughs> um, but like I was still listening to Backstreet Boys and stuff. So like even though I had that kind of influence, it still wasn't there until I hit um, seventh grade. Uh, right after 9-11, 9-11 was in sixth grade. Um, so it was during the beginning of the invasion of Afghanistan and just, I don't know, politics. Anarchy sounded pretty cool versus shitty government. What a great time to become a punk. That's like the <laughs> best time. Like 9-11 is the best time to become a punk. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. You had George Bush. Oh, oh my man. God. Fantastic. Yeah, Reagan so died a year later, so it was right. like all the parties. There's so the much show. state to smash. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I know we had, I, admittedly, I will date myself, we had Reagan, so, you know, got to, <laughs> got, got to, uh, to, to rally against Reagan, but, you know, I think uh, I, I did spend a fair amount of time protesting both Bushes during the, the invasions. I had Bill Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, there's other stuff to protest with him. It's very, very relevant to today's politics. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, talk a little bit more about that. So were there kids to hang out with in the East Bay? Oh, my goodness. So when I was first getting into punk, I was in Catholic school. So it was mostly just, like, going to the record stores and just kind of flipping through things that looked punk. So I didn't really have, like, an influence or somebody to show me the ropes. Um, I just kind of picked up what was cool. And then when I got into eighth grade was when I went back into public school. And that's when I met the other punks. And we started going at Gilman, started hanging out, learning about other bands. That's when I really took a dive in. Nice, nice. And so did you just start going to shows at Gilman? And then how did you get into going to like membership meetings? And Oh, so I, I think I started going to Gilman when I was like the end of the age 12. So 12, 13, and it took me until, like, I had volunteered at the shows, but it took me until I was 16 years old to actually get involved in Gilman. You start going to, like, the Sunday meetings? Yeah, stuff. well, the Saturday, yeah, Saturday meetings. Saturday. I don't know. I've never helped anyone <laughs> do anything. Um, yeah, I was actually invited uh, to do this new project that they were doing at that time, and it was called Thursday Night Booking, where... Um, we were trying to make Thursday nights a thing for like acoustic shows or like hmm. film viewings or something small and not loud. So that was kind of my into Gilman. And from there, I started booking other shows. Nice, nice. I mean, it's, it's really interesting. You say you were 12 when you started going there. Like the, the thing about Gilman that's like always kind of rang true, and we've talked about this in other episodes, is just the inclusiveness of the space, the fact that. It really is truly an all-ages club. It's not like pretend all-ages. Um, I've brought my daughter there. So when Sarah Kirsch passed away a few years ago, I brought her to the memorial because there was a kid's portion of that. Um, and it's just, it, it was really nice to see her dancing around with like Pat Libby's kids you know, or kid <laughs> at that time. You know, it was yeah. really cool. Um, and, you know, I don't want to like have like an inside conversation, but Pat was also a booker there, has been involved in the punk scene for a really long time in, in the Bay Area and um, as well as his partner. Um, and they've, they've both been, they both have pretty amazing long-term commitments to the punk scene here. So totally, but it it was fun. You know, it's like comes full circle. There you are one day with your child, you know, running around in a circle at (laughs) Gilman street, 
you know, while they're like making like homemade shakers and things and <laughs> you look over and, and you know, your kid's like trying to tackle Pat Libby's kid, you know? So it's, uh, it's, a, it really is an amazing space. Well, it's, uh, that's gen- all our previous guests were kind of older than me. And it was great hearing about the bands that were around when they first started going to Gilman and stuff. Cause like, it was different for my, my scene. Who were like the bands that were around for you when you first started getting into the Gilman scene? Oh man, I was all about STFU, Strung Up, Capitalist Casualties. Mm. We're still playing. Oh man, I like can list off so many. It's ridiculous. Like Masacre, La Grita. Like there were so many good bands coming around that time. Yeah, Capitalist Casualties. I know. Yes. Santa Rosa Band. <laughs> uh-huh. Sean just passed away, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, we grew up, or I grew up around them. I saw them play like shows in like these tiny little beat up spaces in Santa Rosa when they were first together. Really. I still know Matt, the original drummer. And, uh, it's, it's really great that they played for as long as they did. And they, they influenced a lot of people, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, they definitely influenced me. I'm like a really big power violence kind of, yeah. Nice. A huge fan of power violence. <laughs> so what about, uh, did you like the band punch? Yeah, I really did like punch. Yeah. I kind of their demo is out of this world. Yeah. So good. So someday we'll have Megan on. She's a <laughs> she's a friend too. She actually babysat one of my kids when she was younger. So it's such a small scene. It really is. But um, talk a little bit about the ethos of Gilman because I I would assume based on what you do now that it had an influence on your like your current sort of life and your work. Oh yeah, I mean, Gilman has had such an impact on me um it's kind of how like I decided to go in the direction with punks with lunch of being more of a collective like it could have easily been me being in charge and telling people what to do but I wanted it to be more of like something that can sustain without me and the only way to do that in my opinion is to have a collective and what that looks like is everyone having a voice and everyone of all ages and of all backgrounds can come and it's a safe space for that. Yeah. Well, we, when we interviewed Martin Sprouse, he talked about the second generation at Gilman that allowed Nazi skinheads in mm. and how that really like took away from the original intent. And then the third generation brought it back to, you know, this is an inclusive place. You can't come in here wearing swastikas, you know, and really that has, like, rung true since then. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, there's always controversies with every, you know, every different sort of uh, group of people that run it. And I know there was some stuff a few years ago that, you know, went back and forth and people weren't totally thrilled about that, um, uh, you know, some people didn't care, some people did. But um, I think it's interesting that, you know, we're talking about a club that's been around for 30 years now um, that's still, like, a huge influence on people and the community in the East Bay. Um, and I, it's been interesting that it's been so wrapped in, in all of our interviews. I mean, even – I think even Tracy mentioned it in our first No, interview. it wasn't our intent. It wasn't supposed it to be It just kind of came up, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, but there's been a lot of, you know, talk about it over the last few years with the movie and, and the other stuff. So it's, it's, it's amazing to me to actually, like, continue to converse about what it's done for people's lives. And, you know, I, um, so talk a little bit more about, you know, you just said that it influenced your your – 
thinking on how to set up punks with lunch, but you're also involved in harm reduction um, with another organization here in the Bay Area. And I think there's a kind of a broader conversation that we can lead into around both, you know, housing, you know, that goes along in, in San Francisco and Oakland now, especially with gentrification and with sort of what we're doing with marginalized communities now. And, you know, it's been something that you've worked on, uh, you know, and this is like, seems like it's becoming your life's work. So just mm-hmm. tell us more about it, you know? Like, what do you mean more about is it? Is punk with lunch like, <laughs> well, like like food not bombs? Is it a similar type of thing? What is oh, what guess, is punks with lunch? Yeah, I guess that would be a good idea. Yeah. Um, so punks with lunch is an all volunteer run uh, organization where we make lunch and also provide harm reduction supplies to people experiencing homelessness, like needles and stuff. Yeah, needles. But we also have like HIV and Hep C testing. Um, we also give out Narcan. I mean, and we give out a bunch of other stuff. Like, How did you get into that? How? Oh, man. Uh, well, I mean, I've always kind of wanted to do something like that. I was a cook for a really long time at really high-end restaurants. And, um, you know, you kind of get tired of feeding the upper class yeah. so yeah. many times when you have um, people right outside your door begging for sure. food and money. So, me oh, wait, few- I'm sorry, real quick. There's a fucking dot com started like a it's like a fake campground over there. Oh my god. That I, I pass on my way to work and it's where you could like sit outside in this fake campground and like work and there's a homeless guy like sleeping, like it's like locked you have to pay to do it, right? It's like a business. And there's like a homeless people like out sleeping outside and then inside because no one is using this because it's a stupid idea. It's just this fake, like beautiful picnic ground with tents and benches and like all this stuff. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. No. Just reminded me. So there's that. fake camping and then real urban yeah. camping. Yeah. Outside. Yeah. Oh my so, god. So a person without a home is outside <laughs> sleeping yeah. outside of the fake campground. It's beautiful. Yeah. That they can't get into because it costs money. Yeah. 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 San Francisco. Yeah. In a nutshell. Yeah. So you were cooking. Yeah. So basically a bunch of friends and I put in twenty bucks each and we went to the dollar store and got supplies and started giving out food and it kind of grew from there miraculously and we're still around three years later that's amazing so (laughs) for those that don't know talk a little bit about what kind of harm reduction is because you know we've had one other person on that that is involved in that but it's it's a good reminder because the recovery community can be a little staunch in its beliefs at certain times including yours truly um that i've had to like really modify sort of my own understanding of what recovery means for different people um well harm reduction i feel like i can go on forever about it (laughs) because it's so broad and it can apply to like multiple facets of life um but for me what it means for me is meeting people where they they are at and not leaving them behind so um what that looks like for me as a case manager at my job is I'm going to go over to where a person is instead of requiring them to come to me. They're going to tell me whatever they want to do, and then we're going to go figure it out together. And it could be literally like I need to get something to eat, and that's totally fine. Or it could be like I need to find housing. Um, but not making sure that we are moving forward right. in some way. And being okay with kind of going backwards as long as any change is positive. Any positive change is good. So you're so it's like a, you know, three steps forward but two steps back, but you're still going forward mm-hmm. kind of attitude. 
Kind of. I mean, there's like so many different parts to it. It's for me, it's also being kind and compassionate. Um, in terms of my experience, which I feel like I can talk better about, um, I used to drink very heavily and um, I had gone to recovery groups and since it's very black and white, I felt very isolated and stigmatized because I did use other um, substances, even though drinking was my, um, you know, my issue. Um, so when I discovered harm reduction, I became more okay with myself and I didn't feel like I needed to hide that part mm -hmm. of myself. And it's actually made me, um, I feel more comfortable with who I am because I don't have to hide that I use oh, other God. substances. Um, and if I do use other substances, at least I know how to do it safely. Right. And I know what signs to look out for. It makes me become more honest with myself. Right. That's fantastic to hear. I've never heard, talked to anyone that had, I had a similar experience. Um, and it was, I think, six months ago. I told, like, I have an AA home group, and I'm very close, and I love those guys, but I was hiding that I smoke weed from them, and I told the group, and they were all very cool and very, like, I don't give a shit. We're here to do this thing, you know, and it, and it was very, like, it was like a weight off my shoulders because I felt like I'm not really doing this if I'm not being honest with the people here, you know, like, I felt like a fraud, and... uh yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, I, you know, having, I haven't used any substances in coming up on 20 years, but that for me, because I had a multitude of problems, you know, alcohol, heroin, you know, weed, yeah. all of it. Those aren't I, the problems, those are the solutions. Well, those were, were the solutions <laughs> yeah. at the time, absolutely. But it, it um, for me, it's just more comfortable to be abstinent, you know, mm -hmm. and but I always thought to myself, like, I had a little bit of an ego about it, like, oh, I'm better than so-and-so or whatever. But I'm realizing now, like, so it's so amazing that people are finding the freedom to do things like use THC or pot to alleviate pain and, and take care of anxiety because it's so much better than the alternative. Like, the alternative of being on certain pharmaceutical drugs, and I'm not against that either, but certain people don't need it. You know, mm -hmm. they, they need a little bit of stress relief or they need a little bit of, like, help with sleeping and the... The, the reaction to that from the medical community can be, like, super hardcore, you know. And so I think it's great that it's become more of, a, like, an accepted part of people's recovery, um, that they don't necessarily have to stop doing everything to deal with the primary issues that they're having. And a lot of times it's helpful to sort of, like, you know, change kind of your attitude and ideas about, about certain drugs, you know, so. I mean, yeah. For me, um, one of the most important things that I try to do in, like, the work, my volunteer work, and also in my everyday life is uh, just try to kind of try to destigmatize drug use because that is what is the most isolating and that is what kills people, isolation. Um, so that's why I really love the harm reductionist model because... I mean, as long as we're doing things safely and as long as we can, like, you know, look out for each other and support each other without that judgment there. I mean, that's kind of like the punk ethos in a way, you know, mm -hmm. like we are all fucked up kids just like together trying to figure shit out. And um, 
without judgment, we're all in it together and we help each other out. And this is just kind of a different form of that for me, at least. Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, I think to what you mentioned about, you know, the one of the things that Tracy Helton Mitchell pointed out to us was that they like at the she works in a harm reduction you know, uh, here in the city and they like to call people that are using still people who use drugs rather than addicts or, you know, or use the more stigmatizing language. Um, and it's, it's actually like, I've found myself more willing to like do that now. Cause I'm like, well, do I want to stigmatize my fellow addict? You know, and I will admit on a personal level, there are certain people that trigger me when they use and generally it's around family members, but so I'm not perfect. You know, and I don't claim to be, but I think it's a really, it's, it's been a great sort of like freedom to kind of follow some of the more like the newer thought process around harm reduction. Um, you know, I read the book Chasing the Scream a couple of years ago and it really like, uh, people that haven't read it, I recommend it. It really pointed out that what you keyed in on Alejandro, which is the idea around, um, connection, you know, and that mostly what gets people into the really, really like lower bottoms is the lack of connection and love in their lives, whether, Mm -hmm. and it also allows them to sort of like abandon morality in some ways and, you know, do more things that are criminal or harsher to other people around them because they're feeling like it's, it's a, it's a okay reaction to being abandoned. That's interesting because so that's what Alejandro's providing because yeah. so you're talking about family members and having a hard time. Yeah. I have a close friend who recently uh, relapsed and got back into heroin and I was so mad at him. Like I was so mad at him and I told him like, I can't talk to you because I'm mad at you and that's not going to help you, you know? And then maybe he goes, he's fine now, but someone like that could go to where well, you're going to treat them like a person and talk to them and say, it's cool. What do you need? Food, whatever. Like that, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 So what, Talk to me about Punks with Lunch a little bit more, because I like I love this organization. I've been admiring you from afar for a while. Oh, like thanks. Mario made the connection between us, who's a mutual friend, and I know you were in a band with him for a brief time. We were we were we were jamming. Yeah. So um, <laughs> he, but it's a it's a really interesting organization for for a variety of reasons. You're not I don't know if you are now, but you haven't been an official five hundred one c three in the past. I mean, we have a fiscal sponsor, oh, so great. they have the 501c3, awesome. but... Uh, but it started as sort of like, a, almost like a, uh, a a guerrilla organization. I mean, you were yeah. like, just out there giving stuff out. Yeah, I mean, technically, that's still what we're doing. The fiscal sponsor is basically just um, for our harm reduction side. It's right. really, really complicated, yeah. but we're essentially doing a lot of things. Like, do, you, do people donate? Uh, yeah, people donate. Most of, if not all of our donations um, come from private private donations just out of people's pockets. Do we want to give a shout out to how people could donate? If yeah. yeah, you can go to punkswithlunch.org and there is a donation link. Yeah, and cool. There's all the different ways you can do it. <laughs> so I, I used to cook Food Not Bombs in my kitchen in Santa Rosa years ago. And I've served with them over the years. And I know Keith somewhat, but... I think the interesting thing to me is the organizations that are trying to directly give food to people tend to be a target of police mm-hmm. as well. How has yeah. that gone in Oakland for Punks with Lunch? The police don't mess with us. <laughs> That's good. I mean, yeah, we, it's really interesting actually. I always talk about this, the difference in the way the police treat us here in San Francisco versus in Oakland. Um, 
we... Is that because Oakland's rad and San Francisco's a shithole? <laughs> Probably. Wow. I think it has to do with the fact that um, a lot of the people that we serve in West Oakland um, are from the neighborhood that we serve in, and uh, their families are still there, and like their neighbors are still oh, there. Oh, the police are from the neighborhood. Oh, no. Um, no, no, the, our participants. Oh, gotcha. The gotcha. people that we serve. Yeah. So the neighbors are family and friends of our participants and they're they're not calling they're not calling the cops on us that's That's no that's the difference yeah people call the cops right so have have you been visited by the police at the no no not Not at at punks with lunch not in three years not in three years that's amazing can we knock on wood though about that (laughs) there's true there's real wood too but so and you're you're you serve under the overpasses in west oakland right yeah um a few of them yeah so the overpasses are turning into like full on shanty towns right now. Yeah. It's um it's quite astounding. Uh, yeah. The, the rate that an encampment grows and then disappears and then grows again. Yeah. So you grew up in the East Bay. Yes. Um I grew up in Northern Cal- the North Bay. North past the bay, I guess. I don't Arizona. know why we call it the North Bay. Yeah. There's no bay. There's no bay. <laughs> no. We're we're bayless. Yeah. So um, talk to me a little bit about, or us about the changes that you've seen over the last few years, because it's, it's changed a lot, especially Oakland. I mean, obviously San Francisco has been on this trajectory for a much longer period of time, but you know, Oakland is, I can imagine, um, that you're probably your, uh, participants are growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about what that looks like to you. Like, how does that I just see so many people leaving, and then anyone who's not leaving is on the street or selling their soul to get money to live and survive. And ding ding ding. <laughs> <laughs> what neighborhood did you grow up in? Oh, I grew up all over the place, yeah. like from Richmond all the way down to like Castro Valley area. Wow, a lot of moving. A lot of moving. Yeah, and. I mean, how are how are people sort of reacting to the the organization being on the street? I can imagine that most are super happy. We get really positive reactions, um, you know, especially from the people who matter most, which, who are our participants. Yeah. Um, we've been going to the site that we're at for over two years at this point. So, you know, build a connection with people for over two years. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the neighbors, like I said, they're really cool with us and they really appreciate what we're doing. And we're always running into people also helping out and handing out food and supplies. So let's roll back a little bit. Cause I want to hear like how you formed this and you had a group, it sounded like there was a group of friends. Mm-hmm. So what was, what was, how was it like you were all sitting around talking one day or is this something that sort of, I put a Facebook status up. I was like, who wants to make lunches? And people showed up. That's so amazing. Facebook is the best. (laughs) We'll talk about that another time. Yeah, I mean, well... And you organized it from there? Yeah, so the first one put up a status, people showed up. And then the next weekend, I had booked a show at Gilman for... uh, my birthday, but I made a bunch of food to sell to refinance the next punks with lunch. And it just kind of went from there. People started giving me money 
and then we started buying more and more food. So at first you're just, you're buying food and you're going out, you're feeding people just under the radar, but like, when does it become an organization? When is there a .org happen? Yeah, I don't even know when that happened, to be honest. Uh, It just kind of just started happening every, every week. Right. Um, You know, we didn't, I mean, we might have skipped a few weekends at first, but People were just interested in helping, and there was a one point where I really thought it wasn't going to work out because only, like, two people kept showing up <laughs> every weekend. But we kind of just, like, kept doing it. And I think when it became an organization is when people kind of just stuck around. Mm-hmm. And we kind of have people come and go, but uh, we always have, like, a really solid group of people who are willing to go the distance nice. with us. Which yeah. is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, watching sort of the growth of the Oregon on the little Facebook page, and I mean, it seems like you have a really solid core group of people that are really committed to this. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, like, and it's amazing that it happened like so, almost like, like you were just like, let's just do this, and it just happened. I have to say, like, I have an enormous amount of respect for people that are willing to go that hardcore on the grassroots side. I think it's it is the most, some of the most difficult work and it's also the most rewarding. And, um, you know, I mentioned before we started the interview that we have like a, a personal connection through other people as well. Um, and when I was still living on the streets of San Francisco, um, there was a very young organization called at the crossroads here, um, that does mm-hmm. their, ba- their, their entire being is to meet their, uh, clients at their point of need. Like that is it. There's no judgment and there's no, um, more importantly, there's no like push to do something specific, whatever the client is doing to improve their lives. That's what they're going to encourage. And, um, you know, Mary Howe, who you work with now, um, was a counselor there early on as well. Um, but, um, we're, we're pretty close in terms of like our time, you know, here and, and, uh, that ethos is really, you know, it's impressed me in a way. I just can't like, it's, it is so amazing. And we, we, everyone we've interviewed so far, we're just like, you know, punks are like the most workaholic people. Yeah. And they're all like, <laughs> you know, just, oh, I decided one day I wanted to make this book. And yeah. so I made this book and it's like, well, how? I just did it. It's just like this. Yeah. I just did it. Yeah. DIY. Yeah. yeah. It's exactly. like, I called my friend who made a book and they yeah. said, this is how you make a book. Yeah. So I made a book, yeah. you know, but you know, I mean, I like, so what I'm, what I'm saying is, so you're, you're doing punks with lunch, which mm-hmm. is, could be a full-time job if you really wanted it to be. You're, you're working for HYA. Mm-hmm. You're also in bands. Yes. Yeah. So, and you're, from what I read, you're booking a tour to the South. Possibly. Yes. Possibly. See, yes. so, so it's, it's just amazing to me, like the amount of inspiration and, um, and like drive, you know? And I think that there was a point in time that I can remember because I'm, like I said, I'm an old guy. So come, I'm turned 48 last two weeks ago. And, um, where punks were sort of looked at as like lazy and shiftless and like, Oh, they just have a bad attitude about everything. And that is 100% not been my experience. Um, in all my years of, you know, 30 plus years of going to shows and being around people, like to get things to happen, it's really, you got work, man. 
you know, I know Gilman's here, but that still requires a lot of volunteers and a lot of people booking shows and a lot of people saying yes or no to bands that are touring through, and it's hard work. So, you know, what drives you? Like, what, 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 what makes you want to do all this stuff at the same time? I have no idea. <laughs> I really don't. I, I think, well, I just want to live life. And, like, this is what I want to do. Like, um, like I said before, I was a cook for a very long time, and that was my passion. But after a while, I was like, ah, this is boring. This isn't one of what I want to do. This isn't it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just being true to myself and being okay with that and not having to fit in the mold. Um, and in whatever way that looks like. And for me, that looks like working myself mm-hmm. a lot. And uh, I love what I do. That's, I love this show. And we've only five episodes in, but I love this show. I mean, this is my show, but I love it. Because <laughs> you know, cause I love interviews like this because someone hears that and they, it sounds so simple. And they go, oh, I can just do whatever I want. Yeah. Like, you know? <laughs> yes. And it can be can. very liberating to hear people talk about like. Well, yeah, somebody's said it to all of us, right? Yeah, you can do whatever you want. I mean, it's a jo- it's a kind of a joke at my house. I do what I want. The truth of the matter is, I do what I love, mm-hmm. and and I get the benefit of doing something that is also, you know, right now helping pay the mortgage. So, <laughs> um, I think it's interesting too that a lot of people from restaurants end up doing really cool stuff. Like <laughs> when I read about social enterprises, like nine times out of 10, it's somebody that is either like a former chef or somebody that worked at managing restaurants or somebody that was a restaurant entrepreneur. And now all of a sudden they've got a restaurant where they're hiring, you know, formerly incarcerated individuals, or they have a restaurant where they're like, you know, we don't care about what the laws are around uh, immigration. We are going to pay people a fair wage, and those are the people that are applying for work here. So, guess what? You know, restaurant workers bust ass. Come get oh me! Oh my god! Yeah. yeah, the I, you know, restaurant workers are a bunch of like, I'm including myself in this, like degenerates, hardworking degenerates. I swear. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can go to the nicest restaurant, and you'll have somebody in there who you know comes from the streets. Another person who comes from culinary school. Another person like me who's just like, eh, I think I could do this. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, We're just I, there. <laughs> I mean, and so many more restaurant, especially chefs. I feel like because there's such a connection with food. Like, and you don't become a chef because you don't love food, but it's such a human thing. Like, we need it. You know, mm-hmm. I just feel like so many chefs come to this point in their lives where they're like, well, I want more. And they start doing cool stuff, you know, whether it's like, you know, I just read about another restaurant that is uh, that I didn't even know. They've got a it's a pizza place and they've got a, a spot in 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 um, Albany, I believe. Mm. Um, and they their whole restaurant chain is based on hiring formerly incarcerated people. It's amazing. You know, and I've noticed in doing what I do that the, that people that have had adversity in their lives are so grateful for a job and so, like, the hardest workers ever. Like, I wouldn't trade my crew here for any other set of employees right now. And there's been times where I've not felt that way, but right now I'm, like, really, really, like, into the crew that we have working here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know... You got to give people a chance. Yeah. I, I've always kind of, or not always, but 
I kind of say now it's not exactly like who you were in the past. You're not defined by your past. It's what you do right now that's important. And um, I've just noticed a lot of my friends are the same way of like, we've had really sordid past. Yeah. And now we're doing work that we're really, really proud of. It's also a theme on this show. Yeah, as you should be. <laughs> Seriously. So who was there somebody that you can name that was like a real inspiration to you? Man, there's so many people. They, I've been inspired. I mean, if we're talking about people that I've looked at from afar that I've been inspired by, it was definitely like Martin Crudo from Los Crudos. Like when I first got into punk, you know, um, Guatemala didn't have a punk scene until the 90s and um, because of the Civil War. So there was no music in Guatemala for a very long time. So when my dad came here, or when my parents came here, and I started getting into punk, my family was like, oh, that's for gringos. Like, <laughs> and all I knew was like Minor Threat and Sex Pistols and like all these like white bands or whatever. And then I heard Los Crudos. And then I was like, damn, that dude's singing in Spanish. Like, that's so amazing. And from then on, and he's like the nicest guy. The nicest guy ever. <laughs> He really is the nicest guy. Oh, such a nice he, guy. he sold me um, my first Desobediencia Civil um, record, and uh, he still remembered me yeah. years uh, later, ten years later. That is him. <laughs> so I played in a hardcore band in the early 90s, and we were playing in Chicago one night, and the show got canceled because Los Crudos decided to play a benefit in their neighborhood, and the booker was like, no one's coming to the show. <laughs> Sorry, dudes. And and at the time, I was like, what? And then I actually bought their 7-inch that they had out at the time. And I was like, these guys are amazing. I wouldn't <laughs> have gone to the show either. You know, they they were. And, you know, obviously they played again. I saw them play when they were a band back, way back when. But, That's amazing. Um, they also, you know, they came, they played Sarah's memorial and, and, you know, I it's it was an he, he he just blew everybody away. I mean, he read some of Sarah's poetry and like really, really like that's who he is for mm-hmm. sure. And he is out for the people. I mean, like for real. So yes. it's it's wonderful to hear that he's a huge in- inspiration to you. He definitely continues to be. Like I don't really know him very personally at all beyond like hi yeah. <laughs> but um I mean I'm very inspired that he is still doing what he does and he's genuine and he does benefit shows and puts on the cool like I saw the last time I saw Limpress was at Starline and there was just so much grief because so many people had died that week like mm-hmm. Sean from Capitals Casualties um mm-hmm. some other people who I, I I don't remember their name but there was a lot of um just sorrow and he kind of I just remember that being a really powerful show and him saying the right words and just everybody going crazy yeah very inspired by him yeah no that's good to hear (laughs) he's inspired generations of the punk scene for sure I mean people that have met him once are just like you know you know they love him he's he's that guy he's so genuine and real you know we should all aspire to be that honestly like that genuine and real and, you know, it's it's nice to hear that there's people, you know, you know, and we're obviously of different age groups, but generationally that are doing such amazing things. Um, 
So as the organization grew, you sounds like you decided you wanted to do other things in the harm reduction realm. Mm. And you ended up hooking up with Homeless Youth Alliance. Yes. So talk a bit about that because those that don't know, the hate for homeless youth is one of the roughest neighborhoods, I would say, in the country. Um, there's, it's, it can be really fractured in terms of like different groups and gangs, and they get a lot of you know, trouble from the police um, and the city. And, you know, the city, actually the city's done some good work, but, you know, the community, it's, it can be a little rough. So how did you get involved with that specific organization, one, and talk about your work, what it looks like on a daily basis? Um, so I guess it, it started with Punks with Lunch. Um, as Punks with Lunch, I think six months in, we had some volunteers who were like, well, what if you guys did a needle exchange? And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't really know. Like, because I I have no background in harm reduction at all. Um, And we just kind of started doing it. And uh, that one of the people who helped start that program at Punks with Lunch worked for the Homeless Youth Alliance. And I remember there was an outreach counselor position. And I sent in my resume that was all restaurants and my cover letter and answered the questions. And I did not get the job. But they were hiring a van driver one day, and I went into interview, and I became the needle exchange van driver, and that was kind of like my foot in the door. So I just started off just doing what I did at Punks with Lunch, giving out snacks and, um, you know, doing the needle exchange, and then I became an outreach worker, which meant that I went with a bag of snacks or hygiene supplies and met the youth out on the street, um, and then I became a case manager or outreach counselor, and now I... What do you, what do, you do? What do I do? Yeah. Um, what does one do that works there? <laughs> well, I mean, I do outreach. I do needle exchange. We, um, we hold groups, and I also meet with participants one-on-one. How do you find them? Do you just go out and find them, or do they come to you? Um, homeless youth. I mean, we, since we don't have a drop in, uh, we, um, meet the youth on outreach and, or at the needle exchange Mm -hmm. and that's how we engage with them. Right. And then we can set up appointments from there. Yet. You don't have a drop in yet. I hope one day. One day. It's like the the married dream. She used to ask me to buy property in the hate just to give her a drop in. Some. I know. Somebody <laughs> needs to give Mary Howe a drop in. Yes. Please. So that that's the the so Mary's whole kind of philosophy was her growth out of at the crossroads, which we talked about before. Hearing you say that you meet these kids at the needle exchange or that they come to you when you're doing outreach. So I met Rob Gitten, who at the time started at the crossroads was the ED for years because they were giving out sandwiches and I was hungry and they had socks and I needed clean socks. And so I, I can't say enough. And I, and I, this is a, like a super, super charged subject for me personally, because it, like without a doubt, Rob's like complete, um, unconditional love of me when I had no love for myself and that connection saved my life. So the fact that you go out there and do that every day is, it's extremely inspiring to me, but it also brings up a lot of really 
intense memories. And, you know, I can't even say enough to people that listen how important this is. Like if you have a few moments to give, to make hygiene kits, to do any kind of volunteer work for any of these organizations, whether it's HYA, Punks with Lunch, at the crossroads, anyone that's doing this direct outreach, um, the kids desperately need you desperately. And they need to know that someone cares about them. It's, it is letting them know this by doing something is it's more rewarding than anything you'll ever do in your life. And I've been on the board of two organizations that do this work. And I will say that that's great, but actually going in and volunteering and making like little candy gifts and things is it just feels so good. And there's always a good crew like hanging out and chopping it up and enjoying their time together because they're all there for the same purpose. Yeah. I think, um, I think what we do at the homeless season Alliance and at punks with lunch is really important because of, well, the stigma of people who use drugs as, you know, worthless members of society and, I also used to drive for Lyft, and I've heard every terrible thing that has been said about people from different customers. And, um, you know, when you treat somebody like a human being, you can actually see the human being. And I think that is missing Um, because we're just told over and over and over again that all, you know, everyone is just creating trash and creating mess and it's an eyesore and it's terrible for the the visuals of the city. But in reality, it's like these are people who are struggling to survive and you've and we've given them nothing as a society. We've given them nothing. So when we as an individual are able to give something, it's it's um, I think it's really important and it's powerful. I have a lot of friends who are um on the street right now and you know everyone's kind of turned their back on them and for their drug use or blame them for things that are out of their control and uh I still see them all the time and you know they're still the same people that they were before they're just they're just having a really hard time yeah yeah it's uh it's I totally, I've been on both sides of this one and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's really tough. It can be really, really hard out there. I will say this too. And, you know, I have, I, I am, I am prone to fighting trolls on, on social media. I haven't done it since the Martin interview. So I've been good the last couple of months. That's good. Yeah. How do you feel? Much better. Yeah. It brings up a lot of anger. <laughs> that, he just loves engaging with Nazis. He but there, loves there's, it. There's, but it's even beyond that. And I think there's a, the, a really interesting piece in The Atlantic that came out around, you know, specifically sort of around the Trump administration. But I think this is a broader, a broader kind of view of humanity right now is, and I, I'm going to ask the question, why, has, and, you know, people will answer it in any way they want, but why has cruelty become such a part of, like, certain thought processes? It's like we you know, and I'm going to semi quote Joe Rogan because sometimes I listen to his podcast too. Um, (laughs) you know, yeah, well, um, it's like, we're all part of the same team. We have a hundred years or less on this planet to do whatever we're going to do, you know? And he, he said it right. If you don't want to be a part of the team, then I don't want to be a part of your team. You know, sorry. It's like, we have such short amount of time here and how you spend that time, is really the thing that you're going to leave behind. 
And if you want to be a curmudgeon and an asshole and a jerk to everybody you come in contact with and talk badly about the rest of humanity, that's your choice. Do it. <laughs> you know, but that's what you're going to leave behind. And I would prefer to leave behind maybe not millions of dollars, but millions of great memories of the things that we've done. And part of the reason, Josh, when I started this podcast was to draw this inspiration out of the people we interview, to get them to talk about it, get maybe a little emotional about it and be passionate about it and, you know, be super excited about the things they're doing. And like, that's what I see tonight. I'm, it's, it's super inspiring. Like we all are in this together and I like getting that for many people is, is a lifetime sort of process. It took me a lot longer than some and took, you know, me a lot less than some, but I like, I'm super happy to hear what you're doing. So what do you see for the future of let's, let's talk about punks with lunch first. Um, what do I see for the future? Yeah, what do you want? Actually, let's put it that way because let's put out the energy of what you want and see if we can get it back for you. Right. Oh, I want punks with lunch to thrive instead of having to try to survive because, uh, I mean, we're doing great for being three years old. Um, it's a really easy way to help, right? Like, yeah. like everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people feel bad. Like I feel bad all the time and I'm not doing anything to help. So it's like, it's a good, it's the least you could do. I think probably is like kick a little money down to something like this. Yeah. Oh, you know, well, I mean, whatever helps, even just spreading the word about what we do, like, so that even if you don't have money or if you don't have the means to do it, like, at least somebody can hear about it. Yeah. So what, I guess when I say what, what do you see, like, what do you got, what do you, what do you need at the organization right now? Money? Do you need, are there certain things that help, like, like part of the hygiene kits, you know, products? We need so much. It's, I mean, this is your opportunity. (laughs) List it out. I mean, we always need, you know, hygiene supplies. We would love to be able to get our own space. Right now, we work out of of a warehouse uh, that's actually people's homes. Mm. Um, So we'd love to get our own space. We would love a van. Um, We would like to be, uh, to have a sustainable, Income, budget, whatever it's called for our organization. Those are big dreams. (laughs) So you can actually budget? Oh, yeah. 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 Um, Right now, we just kind of make our money through crowdfunding and booking shows. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, it's not that much to ask for, you know, so why not? And I think, so if people are, are listening to the podcast and you're like, Every year I make a donation to an organization. Well, I've got one that's super grassroots. And in this time, my personal opinion are those are the ones that we need to support because those are the ones that are on the ground doing the actual work. Um, Let's yeah. NPR these assholes. Yeah. And we're going to keep asking. Until <laughs> yeah, you... exactly. <laughs> and after you've donated, we'll ask twice as often. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll want you to up that monthly subscription because yeah. <laughs> we've got some gifts. <laughs> And it's all tax deductible. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So in terms of your work with HYA, what do you see? Like, where do you want to be? Oh, man. I mean, I want to learn as much as possible there. I I mean, I love the job that I do, and I don't foresee leaving it in the near future. Um, I mean, I'm constantly learning, so I I feel like until I'm done, which I don't think I'll ever be done, um... If you're done, everything's okay. Yeah. Like, I want you to be done. That means (laughs) everything's fine. I mean, everybody's being taken care of. Everybody's taken care of. That's a tall order. It is a tall order. (laughs) 
It is a tall order. So what about music? Talk about your bands. Oh, man. Okay. Your current band. My current band. I'm in rapid decline. We are a power violence band. Three piece. I listen to the band camp. Yeah. Yeah. We're very angry. It's, it's very fast and angry. Yes. This whole this whole show we do, all the previous guests, everything is just a big ruse to try to get our band booked at Gilman. So can... <laughs> <laughs> it's very sneaky. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, we're, we're just going at all the Gilman connected people. <laughs> <laughs> I've only technically played Gilman once, and it was for a homeless youth alliance benefit, and I had been booking there for a while. That's a good reason to play. What is power violence? What is power violence? Yeah. Do I know what that is? I mean... Do I know what that is, Kevin? Have you heard Spaz? I don't know. No. Charles Bronson? So... It's like really, really fast. Hardcore. It's really fast. Really short songs. Lots of fast. Lo- Lots of but shorts. But I'm like an old lady right now. But the violence part is to the music, not like actual like dancing violence? Uh, to the music, I believe. Yeah. Right. It's just power violence. Yeah. But there's no actual people being violent towards each other. I guess not. Unless you call a pit no, violence. No, I don't. No, no. Okay. Generally really aggressive lyrics, usually political leaning. Okay. Like and hardcore. But it's like punch a Nazi, not punch a hippie. No, oh. we're not. We're generally not going after the hippies. We're, okay. You know, I mean. Thank you. I'm Good. pretty sure. Conceivably. A punch a hippie song. Yeah. I just know our <laughs> listeners there? were wondering There's, what is power violence. Well, it, and it depends on who the lyricist is, probably. Okay. I would say that... Um, I'll Google it. We're yeah. all a bunch of dorks. Yeah. Well, we are all a bunch of dorks. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty nerdy. It is pretty nerdy, but it's good. Lots it's of fast. like, Lots of movie samples, lots of stops and goes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's all right. good stuff. Sometimes yeah. Cookie Monster vocals. Okay. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, so, I'm feeling it. <laughs> rapid decline. Yes. And you're, you, have, you do have shows booked? Uh, we have one show in the Bay Area booked for right now, and it's actually on Saturday. Where? At the Octopus Literary Salon. Which is? In Oakland. Oakland, California. Yes. And um, we're playing with Blood and Big Rip. Awesome. Um, so we're getting close to our time. Um, let's maybe, you know, anything you can tell the younger kids that are Getting into punk now, um, I think it's important, not necessarily as like a, I have this advice for you, <laughs> but more so like, like <laughs> although I will do that because I am well known as a total grandpa. I can be the get off your lawn guy, but, um, or get off my lawn. Um, but uh, just, you know, like taking it like not just as a musical form, but as the ethos part of it, like, you know. Anything that you experience that you want to share with with people that you think would be helpful would be awesome. Oh my goodness, <laughs> this is where I draw the blank. That's so heavy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, you, you I know. mean, I think what's really important is just don't sell out. Yeah. I mean, because you certainly jumped in <laughs> with both feet. Like you started volunteering at Gilman, then you were the co-head booker there. You were like, "Hey, let's form a." Nonprofit that serves lunch to people that don't have money in West Oakland. Okay, you did it, you know, and like that—that that kind of 
that that is, in my opinion, of course, is part of the the punk ethos. It's like a really successful entrepreneur person, but applied to like anti capitalism. So it's like you saw a vacuum, which is what you're supposed to do in capitalism, and you filled the vacuum. These people are hungry. I'm going to give them food. Except then, but there's no money. Yeah. But it's like a successful idea, right? It finds a vacuum and then adds a solution. Yeah. Yeah, If I if I wanted money, I'd probably be a lot richer now. I mean, I want money, but (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, I could definitely choose a different job. I could definitely go a different route in life. I could definitely dress differently. Um, Your priorities are on point. You're like, let's get everybody (laughs) fed and then we'll figure out this money thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really honestly 100% have lived my life, um, kind of the way that I wanted to and also kind of the way that I kind of envisioned myself at 12 years old. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not just going to work for anybody. I'm not going to wear a business suit and I'm not going to fucking vote for Hillary. Sorry. I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. Um, And I'm not, I'm not into that kind of stuff. I am who I am, and I won't apologize for it. We'll edit the Hillary thing out. Oh, yeah. You can, I mean, you can no. do whatever you Just want. Just kidding. <laughs> we don't edit anything. We yeah, don't. I mean, like, I mean, I guess that could get some, like, crazy people talking or Kevin whatever. Will, Kevin will eat I'll it I'll deal up. with that. Yeah, he loves yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I do everything grassroots because that's where I believe. I believe in working with my community, um, my punk community and my um, Bay Area community. And I think it's really important to hold on to that. And uh, if I could say anything to the younger kids, is just hold on to that. Hold on to that mentality. Take care of yourself. Take care of your community. You know, we're, no one's looking out for us. You know, we can only look out for each other. Yeah. Well, good. And that's exactly what I was looking for. So thanks. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah. I love my show. Yeah. <laughs> so pumped right now. Thank you so I'm much inspired. for coming on. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to come talk to us. Um, and we'll post links to all the stuff we talked about on our website. Yep. And uh, uh, We usually post a photo, so you know we'll, we'll talk about are that. Are you on the Facebook? Yes. I am on the Facebook. Can I use your profile picture? Sure. Okay. Excellent. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you.